Hey there, we're those sci-fi guys, and this is that those sci-fi guys show. Just two working dudes with way different jobs, different lives, but a lot of love for science fiction and the love that, or, or fun, that comes with. I messed it up already. We're your hosts. I'm P.S. McKay, coming to you from the multiverse in which we actually got to see Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield in the latest Spider-Man No Way Home trailer. And boy, did you guys miss out on something special. I'm DT Catman, and I saw that trailer, and it'll be interesting, to say the least. <laughs> Have I'm you been coming following you... that? Okay, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I'm coming to you from to a time when uh, I'm not constantly interrupted by this guy. That that was never. That <laughs> you, you describe an existence that never had been. So. <laughs> Pocket dimensions, my friend. Pocket, Pocket dimensions, dimensions, indeed. <laughs> I did see the trailer. I saw a lot of the villains who came back, which of course hints that the other Spider-Men will arrive. And I know there's the whole beef with Sony and Marvel and Sony trying to do their own Spider-Verse and some of the Venom movies and, and more uh, the Morbius movies hinting that Tom Holland's Spider-Man and some of the events are going on. Like Michael Keaton, I think, is going to have a cameo in the Morbius movie and all this stuff. So you almost have like so than that. two competing spider verses going on. And I know that Tom Holland was not in, he didn't do the voices in uh, what if he's not going to be doing the voice in the freshman year. No, there's also that's a, that's a lot a of people thing. saying that, that, you know, he's done all the movies he was supposed to do for he Marvel. Has. But there I will really be more. Hope, I really hope they kind of get their shit together and allow them to show up in other movies because and while his interactions with Doctor Strange in the trailer look pretty interesting, I really really like to see him back interacting with other members of the Avenger team and stuff. And with all the young Avengers that they're starting to set up, he would be a perfect person to like be the leader of the young Avengers. Oh, sure. I agree. Because he is a young superhero, you know, um, if nothing else, he had a chance to learn at the hands of Tony Stark. And now he's getting a little doctor strange. And of course, yes, Kate Bishop is going to learn from Hawkeye and you may eventually see, uh, Sam Wilson take Elijah Bradley under his belt because he showed up at the end of, you know, in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the grandson of Isaiah Bradley, who eventually becomes a young, young Avenger. Mm-hmm. So you'll get all of this interesting stuff. But, uh, <laughs> I I do like one. I really liked Alfred Molina as Doctor Octopus, and of course, when you get Willem Dafoe to be able to chew scenery as a bad guy, it's always a good thing. It's, he's kind of oh. like a Malkovich. Or, uh, you know, uh, uh, an Oldman or a Jeremy Irons, one of these guys who eats scenery for lunch and just turns it yep. into gold. Uh, I mean, it's so good. So Definitely something he's special. Back. You know, I'm hoping that they get a chance to do Jamie Foxx's Electro better. They will. I was surprised because Feige had, Feige had input. You saw Sandman. And I double-checked IMDb. Thomas Hayden Church is going to be in the movie. Which is weird because by the end of Spider-Man 3, he kind of wasn't a villain anymore. He and Spider-Man kind of reached that understanding like, 
look, I'm just trying to, I'm not after you. Stop coming after me. I'm, I was, he's trying to take care of his daughter, that sort of thing. And that kind of like, he disappears. Like there's no, you know, he kind of like leaves. Yeah. But I mean, but also green goblin and doc Ock are dead at the end of their movies too. Right. So I, so, I mean, <laughs> these could they probably get in at nexus points come in yeah. from nexus points that where they're still alive because you know doc ock seems to understand that he he's he's supposed to be dead because he says that they're that he's uh peter's fighting ghosts which is you know I, I like that angle and and strange says they're all destined to die by spider-man and has spider-man killed anyone in the M's, well remember in um homecoming he basically refused to let adrian tombs die yeah and then and he didn't kill mephisto mephisto killed himself no he didn't kill mysterio i'm sorry <laughs> and there's mephisto there's mephisto leading back in with all the other conjectures right. conjectured uh uh <laughs> websites right, and right. stuff he, well it was kind of the way toby mcguire didn't kill Green Goblin either. The guy killed True. himself. Trying to kill Spider-Man, he ends up killing himself. Doc and... Ock came to and realized what he had done, and he'd redeemed himself. He didn't, so he didn't die by Spider-Man. No, he didn't, and the Sandman left. Venom... I mean, really, the most malicious thing that Spider-Man ever did in the Tobey Maguire movies was uh, intentionally hurt um, Harry. Yeah, well, I mean, Harry did throw shit at him, so he just kind of whipped it back. <laughs> You're right. But, still. And, but that's, of course, when he was kind of douchey emo Spider-Man. Yes. Who was a real tool. No, he wasn't. No, was he? Yeah, he was douchey. Ah, man. I remember. I gotta rewatch it. They had that stupid dance sequence with his dark hair, and then he yeah. acts like a gigantic douche to Mary Jane. I thought it happened earlier in the movie, but you're right because he well because Harry is courting Mary Jane, who's the worst girlfriend in the world. Uh, <laughs> look, the fact of the matter is, the writers continuously do this shit. Oh, you know, it is what it is. Yes, yes. I don't. Well, I don't, not in Marvel. <laughs> look, I'm just hoping that in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. We actually get a little substantial Bruce Campbell play. That's all I'm saying. Oh, he's basically will. been he's basically been hinting at it for for like the last year. Of course, once Sam Raimi took in, we figured Bruce was going to have uh, a cameo, and wouldn't surprise me if you saw his brother Tim show up either. <laughs> no, uh, not at all. Because he now, showed up in a lot of Raimi movies. Um, <laughs> In TV shows, so and I the, mean the, I, the 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 jalopy better be in there too. <laughs> the the classic, I think he calls it. I I just you know, and while Bruce's cameos in both of the Spider in, in the in the Spider Man trilogy were fun, I would really like to see Bruce get a a, a, a mo like a few scenes that he can chew on, really ham it up, Bruce Campbell style. You know, actually make him a character who, who oh, may seriously. pop up again. I, I would like that. I would enjoy it. In fact, let's have him pop up like Stan Lee popped up. 
That would be nice. That would be the best. <laughs> Bruce Campbell becomes the new Stan Lee. Yeah, that would be awesome, right? Even better, man. That'd be awesome. I kind of <laughs> thought that maybe they would lean towards looking out for Kevin Feige showing up in the background. Oh, Since they no, said he's Stan not going to show up. I'll give yeah. the man credit. He's put together a pretty solid universe. Okay. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, and if he no gets one his, can argue with that. And if he gets his hands on Star Wars, I actually think it wouldn't. You know, he's supposed to have a Star Wars movie coming. I've, I've got faith that he's got something up his sleeve that should be decent. Well, Ryan Johnson's trilogy is now off the table, and so is Rogue Squadron. You heard about that, right? No, I was looking forward to that. Yeah, Patty Jenkins. Uh, okay, rumor. Okay, so we are not one of those scoop podcasts or anything like that. Oh, so we get it from other I websites. have. I have no immediate sources whatsoever to to so whatever you hear from me is all rumor that you can hear on on other websites. So let me just put that out there right now. I have no authority in this. That being said, sources are saying <clears throat> Grace Randolph um <laughs> she's saying that Patty Jenkins Wonder Woman 84 did not impress um Kathleen Kennedy and because of that because of that Kathleen Kennedy started to micromanage the story process that uh, Patty Jenkins was putting together for Rogue Squadron and she bailed on Thor too because of that Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm and well I mean let's be fair Patty Jenkins did do did write a decent Wonder Woman movie however she wrote a great Wonder Woman movie in my opinion however the first one was really good However, it was basically Captain America in World War One. I. I know. I, know. <laughs> I mean, they, they, which had have been out for six years already uh, by the time it came out. So, <laughs> look, I, I, I'm not going to say it was the most original movie, but they let a female superhero be a female superhero. Even yeah. in a time where women were like not, even, women hadn't even gotten the right to vote yet in the at least in the U.S. So I mean it was, it was it was pretty good, and I love the fact that she kept having to save Chris Pine, you know, <laughs> who while he was not incapable of taking care of himself, very similar in of course the way Peggy Carter was not incapable of fighting, of taking care of herself. In fact, just the opposite. Um, you know, you, a lot of these movies, the love interest is bait. Yeah. Captured, no. I mean, look at Mary Jane. She gets captured all the time in Spider-Man movies or Gwen Stacy mm-hmm. or somebody. One of them, right? Chris Pine got his ass saved all the time by, <laughs> by Diana. Yes. I also and love they, the also... That they had the, the great scene that was almost a nod to Christopher Reeves scene in the original Superman. The alley, the attempted mugging or whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Where he's just like catching the bullet from from Lois and she's blocking. It looked so much <laughs> like that, which I think it's nice. It was a very nice tip of the hat to that, which mm-hmm. is one of the things I have liked about some of the more aware superhero movies and TV shows is the nods to the past, like how the Iron Man in like the original Iron Man 
I think Tony Stark's ringtone on Rhodey's phone was the Iron Man theme from the cheesy whatever 60s or 70s Iron Man oh, cartoon God. and how <laughs> in the spider in the recent Spider-Man movies they always have a little bit of intro from the old Spider-Man song yep. from I think it was the Spider-Man cartoons in the 70s yep. Spider-Man Spider-Man all that <laughs> I like that case in point today I was watching Flash Armageddon part 1 and Ray Palmer shows up. It's no it's no spoiler. He shows up at the beginning of the movie or beginning of the episode, you know, fresh from being Legends of Tomorrow, Ray Palmer, the Atom, played by Brandon Routh. Very well, by the way. But Brandon Routh got his start in superhero movies by playing mm-hmm. Superman and Superman, Superman Returns. And, of course, he got to play a version of Superman in uh, Crisis on Infinite Earth, which was great. But... Um, when he runs off to change into his atom suit, he runs off and starts taking off his shirt, very Superman-esque, which yep. I enjoyed as a nice homage to to that. So I appreciate <laughs> these things, you know. Mm-hmm. That that that's what I like, you know, and that's why Stan showing up was always a little bit of a reminder of Marvel's history, or you know how Captain America's cheesy uso costume was a way to give you the authentic captain america costume without yeah. looking like a giant jackass out in the field during world war ii so. right and then his army and then his actual field suit was lifted literally from the ultimates comic uh did you ever read the ultimates i never read a lot of comics to begin with but you was... want to hear something interesting comics and you get your point first but then let me bring something up i have no point i was just gonna say like to see something it was like a modern update to the avengers the ultimates was it wasn't like an ultimate it wasn't like a dark one where like it was was a darker ultimate universe yeah alternate universe where captain america kills people he did kill people, but I mean, he killed a lot of bad guys. But the quintessential moment where I felt like it was un Captain America ish, and they polished this out later, um, mm-hmm. they kind of wiped that away, um, is at the end of the first Ultimates comic, uh, the Hulk was, you know, Bruce Banner injects himself to activate the Hulk one more time to justify all this money all being right. on the Ultimates. And so he trashes, you know, half of Manhattan and the Ultimates, you know, ultimately defeat him. And then, you know, Hulk finally goes back to Bruce Banner and he's like this diminutive, <laughs> diminutive seems to be the word for me tonight, uh, you know, guy. And he's like, what what happened? Is everyone OK? And, and Captain America goes, Dr. Banner, is that you or do I have to worry about the green guy? And I'm paraphrasing, by the way. And Dr. Brenner goes, he's no, no, he's he, I, I don't feel him anymore. And Captain America goes, good. And then just kicks him right in the chin with his boot on, knocking out Bruce Banner. Like, mm-hmm. that is not what Steve Rogers would do. But he did that in this universe because he, I mean, he ultimately, I mean, it was Bruce Banner's fault. That all this happened, yes. Mm-hmm. 
but anyway, it, it just felt very uh, Captain America-ish. He's, they stopped that eventually, like, soon later. But that's that's a road that we just went down. Anyway, <laughs> what was your point? <laughs> so, for a long time, and it stopped a few years ago, but even up to around um, leading up to, like, Avengers Age of Ultron, the they... Marvel would publish a free comic book. Uh, I think it was in partner with like the USO and, and with AFES, which is the Army Air Force Exchange uh, Service. And that, those are the people who run the PXs and, and the stores on Army and Air Force bases. And so you, you, there was a time where you could walk into a, you know, a PX in the US or in Europe or in the Middle East, and there'd be a comic book. You know, like a stack of Marvel comics, and it was a special. Hmm. There was a you know special edition. There was a couple of plugs for AFES or like Captain America and Company bringing supplies to U.S. troops somewhere or some stuff. But I remember you know so anytime I would see them, I'd pick them up. And then when a couple of my nephews started getting old enough to read comic books, I had a few lying around, so I mailed them. Because I knew that they were okay enough for kids since they were free yeah. lying around at a, you know, at a PX. But right. it was pretty neat. And there was usually, you know, some message about, you know, there, there was like a, usually like a little moral to these stories or something like that. Sometimes they included, you know, blatant plugs for the military. And other times it was, you know self-contained story or maybe there was a couple that were like back to back like okay next month there'll be another one and they'll conclude but they had some i don't i don't think they're doing it anymore because i haven't seen it in years but i think the last time i saw one was maybe 2014 but still even then you know it was pretty neat you pick up a, a free comic book usually with a couple of avengers in them yep pretty fun story Nice little, yeah. nice little escape for a few right. minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it just kind of, kind of, you know, brings back the child in you a little or, bit. Or, yeah, you know, the teenager in you, and you're like, oh, this is nice. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> I like and that they it, do that. It was neat, and it was, you know, kind of escape. And of course, you know, their kids coming right out of college, you know, or right out of high school, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen years old. A lot of whom probably still read comics, mm-hmm. you know, and of course, I'm not saying the comics are solely for the young because there's a lot of adults who do and collect and that's fine. You know, obviously, we're sci fi fantasy <laughs> superhero nerds and there's plenty, you know, I, I'd be lying if I said I hadn't read a few in my day, but I was never a huge. I wasn't a consistent comic book reader. No. More often than not, I liked comic comic book heroes who ended up on TV and movies, like Superman and Batman and Captain America and whatnot. I'm more versed in their television and movie appearances than I ever were in the comics. The only thing I know from comics now is what I read as I'm getting ready for a new movie to come out or after I've seen a new movie or TV show where it's like, well, this is the difference between this basic storyline in the comics like okay i get it it's kind of like how you can't yeah. you can't overcrowd everything like characters from the lord of the rings movies that didn't make it in and stuff like that so 
I had a friend, you know him. We we can say his name is Fish. Um, ah, yes. Currently, uh, currently a professor in Boston for art. Um, <clears throat> okay. <laughs> um, and uh, he was huge into comics, like, just huge, particularly with X Men and everything. And I saw I would go with him to the comic book store. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, back then, Star Trek was my thing. I really I, I liked the X-Men cartoon, the, the show, which, which Disney Plus is bringing back. Um, X-Men 97. <laughs> yeah, I liked Disney that Plus show. It was pretty cool, man. There was it a lot was. of stuff coming up. <laughs> But um, and but he would get these comics. He would go every week, and I just I I saw it, and you know more power to him. He had stacks up to the ceiling of all these books, well boxes filled with these books, and I'm like, ah, that just it was. First of all, it was way too intimidating to get into the mid storyline. So basically, story what you're was, saying is he was one of the guys from Big Bang Theory, college professor. <laughs> Stacks of comic books. He would go to the comic book store every week. Well, yep, it, yes, but he was fifteen. Uh, I don't think he does it out now, but uh, I don't know. Uh, we we, we do a so podcast sure. now, so. Um, but it just it felt like too much of an obligation in order to get into the comics. Yeah, and, and that's one of the reasons why I think they retcon him every few years. So that's oh something my god, get people in. Retail, because I mean, how many times have you watched on TV and movies in the last twenty-five to thirty years the Batman origin story? At least three or four. At least three uh, in or the four. movies alone. Not mm-hmm. to mention the animated series, uh, the uh, oh, Gotham, Raven the Bowl, Gotham, all these TV shows. They I bet you done could it walk up prey. Yeah, but I bet you you could walk up to almost 90% of population and ask somebody how Bruce Wayne became Batman. I'm pretty sure most people go, oh, wasn't his parents killed? He became Batman to fight injustice? Because, I mean, everybody knows that story. Everybody knows Mm -hmm. Superman's origin story. His planet explodes, he comes here, he grows up, and, he, you know, properties on Earth allow him to be Superman. Got it. Okay. Everyone knows Spider uh, Spider Man's origin story. With great power comes great responsibility. Yes. Now, mm-hmm. I bet you, I know my I know Mrs. Calfman knows the Batman origin story, and I'm pretty sure she knows the Superman origin story. I don't know if she knows Spider Man. I could ask her. She's probably go. Wasn't he written by Stan Lee? And I go, yes, that was his origin I'm- story. <laughs> I'm sorry, you entered into a marriage with this person who doesn't know Spider-Man's origin story. I entered into a marriage with, of a person whose favorite TV show growing up was the A-Team. <sighs> Followed by the All Simpsons. Right. Duly noted, carry on. <laughs> you gotta have some differences in your marriage. To there, keep it, I, to keep, I guess. <laughs> Well, hey, Mrs. McKay knew who Jean-Luc Picard was and was familiar with the, the Next Generation. And I'm like, what? Hold on. First of all, you know this. And number two, you're not running away screaming knowing that I watched this? 
Mrs. <laughs> so. Cavman does know who Jean-Luc Picard is. I don't know. Well, one of her good friends growing up is a big Trek fan. So I don't okay. know if she got inundated from her friend as, as a kid. <laughs> I do know she knew who he was, but she was not interested at all. I no. have, She is also a, a very ardent Sherlock Holmes fan and is very much a a purist. She's really not a fan of reading stuff not written by Doyle. Although mm-hmm. we did watch Mr. Holmes with Ian McKellen, which was based on a story written by somebody else. And okay. that was, yes, 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 she yes, yes, really yes. enjoyed it. And she enjoyed Robert Downey Jr.'s version, which of course was not really based on anything, but they were just generally fun movies. Um, she did prefer Sherlock, though, of all of them. And she refused to watch Elementary. <laughs> <laughs> which I give her props uh, for that. But I did have right. to show her Elementary Dear Data, which was a great one. Oh, geez. Yes. Wait, is that the and, one where they, where Moriarty comes back or they no, create Moriarty the and become self-aware? That's the one he becomes self-aware in season two. Oh, I love not, that moment. Me, not, love- was it Message in a Bottle or something like that? Yeah, message in a bottle is separate. I love that. I loved that moment when Jordy realizes how much he screwed up. Like when he goes, "My God, I told the computer to create a character that can outwit Data, not Sherlock Holmes." <laughs> and and the computer was a processing. It had to really work hard. It basically created sentient life that way. Yes, I mean, <laughs> and I and going along with this, I also talked her one time into um, watching the eminently enjoyable Trials and Tribulations, mostly because she, I the kept DS9 talking episode. the DS Nine episode. In my opinion, is one of the most fun episodes of Star Trek in general. Um, it's very amusing. This will dovetail um, nicely into our subject tonight. Right. I almost I see it's almost as if you planned that. I uh, wink, well, wink. once we got to the, these <laughs> points, yes. So tonight we're going to be talking <laughs> about comedy and sci-fi, which and of course there are blatant examples like uh, Lower Decks, Futurama, Rick uh-huh. and Morty, and and others. You know. But uh, we've already covered Lower Decks and Futurama. Um, Which Futurama and Lower Decks are comedies first and sci-fi second. Yes, but you cannot really take the sci-fi out of those shows and them. No, there's some good sci-fi. There's some really good sci-fi in those shows, which I admire. Um, But it's when it's the truly sci-fi shows that go for humor that I'm a little skeptical about. <laughs> it's a little bit of a mixed bag. Mm-hmm. Now, you'll have so some So you were talking examples, about the trials and tribulations. Which was, and it was, that was a true love letter to Star Trek fans. Okay? Yes. Of, of all of these episodes. Do you want to summarize it real quick? Trials and Tribulations is a Deep Space Nine episode from its fifth season where... A tribute to the 30th anniversary of Star Trek, by the way. Right. And what they did was they they built an episode around the Defiant crew being sucked back in time to 
the uh, events of the wonderfully hilarious original series episode, The Trouble with Tribbles, another one of the funnier episodes in Star Trek lore. And they Mm -hmm. did this brilliantly using the technology that was really pioneered very well in Forrest Gump. They were able to put... Not long before, by the way. Right, which was... Forrest Gump only came out of a year or two before two, this episode. Two years prior, yeah. Right. The, for so a the movie, technology, by the way. Right. But because it was like the 30th anniversary episode, they got a little extra money, they threw it in there, and they were able to put in Avery Brooks, Colin Meany, Terry Farrell, all these people, and they had them in period, you know, 1960s costumes, costumes <laughs> from, from the original <laughs> series, and they drop them into pieces of the episode the trouble with tribbles going Mm -hmm. back in time to stop a rogue klingon agent from going back in time uh arn darvin the original uh klingon agent the bad guy from the original episode they brought back the actor charlie brill who plays an older version of darvin who of course is stuck looking like a human because he was (laughs) disowned by the klingon empire when he got caught And now he's going back to undo this. He hijacks the Orb of Time, which the Cardassians, who the Federation was helping at this time during the Klingon-Cardassian Federation beef uh, in season five, seasons four and five. The the Cardassian civilian government is giving this orb back to Bajor. It's kind of like, hey, see, we're nice guys. Yeah. Continue to help us yeah. getting from the Klingons from wiping us out. And so the defiance bring it back. They bring back this guy. He says, oh, I'm a traitor. I was stuck here on Cardassia during the invasion. And it turns out that's Arn Darvin in disguise. Right. And then as a human. As a human. And then he, he plays with the orb and sends them all back to the trouble with Tribbles. He's planning on killing Kirk. And so now the crew of the Defiant has got to run through and not only catch Darvin, but find out what his plan is. And he puts a bomb in a triple to blow up Kirk, right? To, to change his That's whole The most future. iconic scene. Right. Of, so of, of all the triples falling with, on him. Right. So you get this <laughs> scene where, and then, and then they cut to inside that grain vault where Kirk's looking. And there, up in there is, is Dax and Cisco with old fashioned tricorders looking for bombs in the triple. But mm-hmm. you have great scenes where O'Brien and Bashir and Worf get caught in this brawl. Oh, and Odo, yep. they're at the bar on K7, and the brawl breaks out between the Enterprise crew and the Klingons. And since O'Brien and Bashir are dressed like Starfleet, they have to get involved in the fight. And there's a great scene of them getting arrested by the security, and they search, they've uh, computer inserted them into the scene where where Kirk is dressing down about 10 members of the Enterprise crew, including Chekhov and Scotty. And they have some, they replace a random person who has the one speaking line where he's like, who who started the fight? And they have the I don't know. And the random know, crewman sir. gets replaced with O'Brien, who gets to ask it. Yep. And then as they're you leaving this. No. <laughs> yeah. But after the scene goes, O'Brien and Bashir walking around like, you lied to Captain Kirk. And O'Brien's like, oh, my God, I can't wait to tell Keiko. Like, I got yelled at. I got yelled at by Captain Kirk. <laughs> right. So this 
this and they had wonderful scenes like this throughout the entire episode. It was a true love letter to Star Trek fans to the original series, mm-hmm. but it was so well done. Now, I mean, the editing was smooth. The special effects generally hold up pretty well today. Very well. They hold up very well. And it's still fun because there's a scene where Worf, O'Brien, Cisco, and Bashir are all sitting in the bar because they they saw Darwin. He he ordered Arachnogeno Klingon coffee. So now they're waiting for him to yep. show up. And then all these old 1960s Klingons walk in. <laughs> and, and the waitress and is like, like oh, where are the, the Klingons? Klingons and they're like, Klingons? And looking around and, and, and Worf is like, he's got this hat that covers his ridges. And he's like, they're like, this is, these are Klingons. Those he's are like, Klingons? <laughs> yes, they are. We don't discuss it with outsiders. Which, yeah. of course, great way to play on the Acknowledge. Acknowledge the, the difference. And then, of course, this also opens for Enterprise to do the great um, Klingon augment arc, uh, the two episodes in um, yeah Enterprise's fourth season, where basically they're trying to create Klingon augments based on augment DNA, you know, the con DNA. And mm-hmm. while it does do some good work, it also, you know, between the virus that breaks out and the humans that help them cure flocks and everybody help them cure it, a lot of the Klingons lose their ridges. So yep. that's why everybody looks like that. And that's why, you know, eventually, <laughs> I guess, they are find a way to genetically manipulate it to fix this whatever genetic mutation. And that's why Kang, Kor, and um, Koloth all have ridges, again, by Deep Space Nine. But it was right. a real funny way to acknowledge the 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 lack of makeup and of technology at the time. Mm-hmm. It's a hilarious episode if you're a Star Trek fan. And of course, some of the best episodes of Deep Space Nine that have comedy in them come from a lot of their guest characters and of course from their Ferengi, who are the well, most uh, who are the most amusing and most well-rounded in Deep Space Nine, not the farce that they were in the next generation. True. True, and I I, I want to say funny Deep Space Nine, but they're intentionally funny, R- right? I mean, they're they're not supposed to be goofy or anything. Oh. There's just a situational funniness that happens ab- about it, and which which worked really well with DS Nine because they didn't try to make a comedic episode necessarily, like like the trials, tri- trials and tribulations, tribulations close was easy to make it funny is because they were making fun of themselves. Right. And Star Trouble Trek was making Tribbles fun of itself. Bright. Trouble with Tribbles was a pretty light and fun episode as well. Right. Considering now, there wasn't, you know, a big morality play in it like a lot of the other episodes. It's one of the most popular episodes because it's fun. And, of course, you've got the cute little Tribbles. So. <laughs> and now... now they they chose very wisely with that, and it was really fun. And then mm-hmm. you have other hilarious Ferengi-centric episodes like uh, The Magnificent Shush. Ferengi, which was a Shush. great Ferengi episode anyway, but uh, also it's pretty damn refresh funny. Refresh my memory. Because I didn't so like the funny. Ferengi episodes. 
That was the one where Quark's mother is kidnapped by the Dominion. Huh. And, and they have to go back and rescue him. This is in season six. And they have they decide they're gonna trade a Vorta. The Vorta that was captured at the end of Rocks and Shoals. Yep. Uh, and they trade him. They're going to trade this guy for their mother, Ishka, and they recruit. So, you know, Quark gets Nog and Rom on board, and they recruit Brunt and their cousin Gala and the sadistic and hilarious um, Lek. What was he? He was an eliminator or something like that. He's basically a Ferengi assassin who is not after... Um, Gala, Lek, yeah, Lek, right? Lek, yeah. Lek was yeah. just off center. You know, he was hilarious. I loved Lek. Well, that was the episode was, with Iggy Pop in it. Yes, where <laughs> Iggy Pop is the other Vorta. It was great. It was great. It was such a fun. He stood out. <laughs> well, he did because he wasn't so sycophantish like a lot of the other Vorta. No, he was no. Kind of like, well, if your nephews, if your sons don't come through with this side of the deal, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to kill you. <laughs> yeah. Like, as as Quark's no, mother's no trying to explain after that, right? As as Quark's mother's trying to explain to him the benefits of having a full. A full stock portfolio. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it was, can, it was a can. beautiful Ferengi episode because they're like, well, you know, I mean, we can be as tough as any Klingons. And they're like, we don't need to be Klingons. We need to act like Ferengi because they were yeah. originally going to try to do a commando raid. And it was terrible. And what does the wonderful <laughs> Jeffrey Combs say is, well, why don't we start off by trying to ambush a couple of Bolians, you know, instead of a couple <laughs> of Jem'Hadar. <laughs> And Nogs, he lets it go to his head. He's trying to act like a drill sergeant. Nobody's taking him seriously. It's it's it is a I, hilarious episode. It's done well because it's, they it's rated let, high on IMDb. Well, it they allow these people to to let their natural comedic timing come out because Rom and Quark were very funny characters anyway. And Nog, too, could be at times as well, more a lot of it from his fish out of water and his short stature, uh, but allowing him to get full of himself was mm-hmm. really fun. And then, of course, Jeffrey Combs chews every scene he's ever in, and he's fantastic. He's fun. And then you've got the other two Ferengi who were like, you know, guests in like one or two other episodes and just they have fun with it. And yeah. the fact that they routinely piss off the Vorta is just hilarious, you know. Mm-hmm. And of course, Quark is always trying to keep most of the reward. The Negus is, in fact, that is the the one downside is that you don't get Wallace Shawn as Zek in this episode because he he is absolutely hysterical in everything he's ever in. That is true. And that is crushed true. as Zek. He did. Yes, he did. He did. Yeah. No, he was the perfect choice for for the the, the Grand Nagus. But don't with get me wrong. That, absolutely. That nasally lispy voice that he really leaned hard on. Did he ever say inconceivable? Character. Did he ever no, say that? <laughs> I don't think so. Which I know it is a bit of a it's a bit of a loss. that was a wasted opportunity. It so. is. <laughs> it is. I mean, uh, nowadays I think you might have got that. 
because uh, you know I don't think Star Trek tipped their hat as much to people's uh, previous jobs as they as tipped well a hat as... to Mr. Ed. They tipped a hat to Mr. Ed. What? Oh my God, you da- Okay, this is comedy right here. This episode was not at all. Hold on, I'll be right back. <laughs> Mr. Ed. Well. I mean, I don't recall a, a direct Mr. Ed reference. I mean, you've seen as many as I have, so there could be some. I meant more they typically didn't do a tip of the hat to a previous role that a lot of these actors had been in. Um, uh, at least back then, and maybe now. I mean, superhero movies do it all the time with tip of the hats to something like Samuel L. Jackson's Tombstone and and uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier when when Nick Fury's tombstone has the path of the righteous man is written on his <laughs> tombstone. I, I mean, I, I don't recall, like, I mean, obviously we all knew Patrick Stewart was a huge, um, you know, was it was a huge, uh, you know, Shakespearean actor. So you did get a lot of Shakespeare from him. But you know, you didn't get you didn't get Jory LaForge teaching kids how to read, you know. He's, no, he's not. No, he's, and he did never say, and you don't have to take my word for it. You know, <laughs> yeah. that would have been good too. Like that. I mean, that, yeah, I don't, I don't know how much they did with those sorts of things. I mean, yes, they made tips of hats to other Star Trek things here and there, and yeah, you'd occasionally see a joke. That might have come up from something else, but you didn't see, you know, Patrick Stewart talking about spice or anything like that. You know, from I'm look- Dune. I'm looking. Uh, it, it is, I believe, it's a season six episode when we are first introduced to Tim Russ on TNG. Oh, Starship, where, oh, Mine? Starship Mine. There it That's is. It's a good episode. It's a good episode. Not meant to be a funny episode. Although the back and forth between Data and the ambassador who talks about nothing um, yeah. was well done. Um, <laughs> well, he's trying but, to uh, learn how to do small talk. And then he walks in. He's like, hey, how you doing? Yes. And that, that was well done. Picard the, or everybody's trying to get out of going on this. And Picard is like, oh, I need to get my saddle. Which is when he gets stuck on the Enterprise. And the Enterprise is about right. to be hijacked. And. Um, anyway, um, at the end of the episode, Picard's in sick bay and he's like, did you find it? And Jordy comes in. I've done a, I've done a level three scan. I can't find it anywhere, Captain. And then Riker comes in. I checked, uh, I checked the entire, uh, forward, uh, forward area of the saucer section. No, no word. And then Worf comes in carrying the saddle (laughs) and Picard is like, Every, uh, well, and Worf's like, I believe this is yours, and I don't understand the importance of you bringing your own saddle. And Picard goes, well, Mr. Worf, anyone who who is uh, who loves to ride a horse brings their own saddle. And then at that point, cut to Worf going, of course. And there was like a little tinkle close to the, the Mr. Ed theme song. If Maybe. <laughs> I, I don't recall that, but okay. I mean, but you also have episodes which can have 
some decent comedy to it. Like, I mean, the outrageous Okana data, data is actually studying comedy. He's trying to figure out humor. And, you know, they have Joe, Joe Piscopo. Piscopo. Mm-hmm. Who is kind of funny in there. Kind of, you know, they, they've had funnier comedians on Star Trek. But, you know, it, oh. it wasn't bad. He, you know. You know what uh, I would have give wouldn't have given to see oh, one of the big gets that they never got. They they Robin tried. Williams. Robin uh, Williams. Well, he was originally supposed to play Rasmussen. I think they mm-hmm. that role for him. Now Matt Frewer did a pretty good job, and he's pretty funny as well. I mean, he he started yep. in a lot of comedic stuff when he was younger. But um, you know, another weird sci-fi show. He was in Max Headroom, which is bizarre. Oh. He was in he was in Taken. He was in The Librarians too, another pseudo sci-fi. Oh my famous. god. You know, he's one of those he's one of those actors that you're you're like whatever happened to that guy? And he's still out there. He's still he's out there kicking. Stuff, yeah. It's just one of those things where it's like if he's not in a show that I'm watching, his career is dead to me. Well, you yeah, I, he was the main There's antagonist. There's too much to watch. In the early seasons of The Librarians, when I was still watching that show, which was pretty good. And, of course, had other sci-fi, you know, ish legends like uh, uh, Rebecca Romaine, you know, a.k.a. the mm-hmm. original Mystique. And, yep. you know, you have. Well, they also had just, you know, you know, com- uh, sitcom legends like Bob Newhart, Jane Curtin and. And uh, John Larroquette in the shows too. So yes, and now, you know, we've but, talked about uh, when it works, right? Yeah, and we've talked about when it works extensively. I'm not going to go into it. I've already talked about when we discussed Stargate. They were Marvel before Marvel uh, came Very into ex- the MCU. Very, Very quickly. You know, they, they added a lot of humor into a very serious situation very organically. Um, well, that, which, which, that's important. Yes. And I, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. It got Mrs. McKay into the show, and she started caring about those characters because she found them enjoyable. Voyager. Now, I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't know this at the time. But I was reading Will Wheaton's uh, blog back in 2001. Will Wheaton? Wheaton. Yes. Who, by the way, Um, might be one of the funnier members who's ever been on Star Trek 2. In general, Will Wheaton's a pretty damn funny guy. No, I can see that. Oh, I mean, he was... Yeah, I mean, he was hilarious. When he played Will Wheaton on The Big Bang Theory? (laughs) The evil Will Wheaton. He was so good at it, too. He really was. Um... And I don't think Brent Spiner was acting when he came into that room on Big Bang Theory. He was like, hey, Mr. Data. And he rips it open. He's like, huh, yeah. Remember when we used to make these characters do it with each other? Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then he's like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, I got a Mr. Data character in my, in my car. You want one? Yeah, I, I like, like you one. You just made 25 the list. bucks. <laughs> I don't think he was acting. So, well, and he got <laughs> I've heard his, stories he about his, Brent Spiner. Well, he got his start in sitcoms, and he just wrote a book that's basically like a fictional account of 
of him at like a sci-fi convention. Oh God! <laughs> it's supposed it's supposed to come out soon. I'll have to look it up. It's supposedly pretty funny. Uh, it's supposed to be dark comedy, but yeah, interesting. But so I was reading Will Wheaton's blog back in two thousand one. <laughs> And he was talking about how Voyager sucks. And and I, I sat there going... I wonder how the Voyager folks thought about that. They would come and do these panels for Star Trek Day now with Will. Well, he was mentioning... He was talking about how he ran into Robert Duncan McNeil on his blog. Uh-huh. And, and he was talking to Rob. Like, hey, Rob, how you doing? And they're talking. And he goes, Rob knows that I think Voyager sucks. So <laughs> he knows that Voyager sucks. Well, some like, of the stars thought Voyager sucks. Yes. And so, and I'm like, oh, that's why it felt like a chore watching some of those episodes. Because I didn't realize that sometimes it's just bad writing, you know? It and really is, man. Voyager had a lot of misses in comparison to, to some of their hits, which they had some good hits. But some of their misses, and this is the one that I wanted to talk about. Tinker, Tenor, Doctor, Spy. Oh, Season was that six, where it, episode this is another four. one of those ones where he was in the holodeck trying to, you know, have he like... He created a daydream algorithm. He created oh. a daydream algorithm. And he started daydreaming certain things. Like singing to the crew... And then suddenly Tuvok goes into Ponfar, and so he's singing this operatic concerto, going saying, "Mr. Paris, take the hypospray and put it into his neck." Oh. Tuvok, don't pay attention. You know, like this sounds was, really terrible. It was tor- It was cringeworthy. And then, and then they're at a, a a senior staff meeting, and then he starts imagining all the women, all of them. Start hitting on him. Balana starts playing footsie with her naked foot under okay, the table. Yeah, I, I remember hearing seven that. sends a note via the pads uh, of dinner tonight. And then Janeway gets up and starts saying her, her gluteus uh, is, is pulled and grabs his hand and puts it on her butt. Like, oh, I, I, I remember th- this episode showed up <laughs> on a couple of first of Star Trek episodes. I think. Oh, my God. And I remember, I remember I read about the episode before I saw it because I read about it on Star Trek.com back when they actually were a pretty active website for upcoming episodes and talking about behind the scenes stuff and things mm-hmm. like that. Now it is a shadow of what it was. But, um, well, I'm sure they're getting beaten to the punch by every spoiler leaker in, in, on the internet. That is true. Uh, well, I mean, ugh. Star Trek dot com is another story for another time. But um, but and then I realized that his his first of all, it was so cringeworthy to watch. It was painful. It wasn't enjoyable. But the article was talking about how this was actually, uh, you know, intended to be a full comedy. And the writers extensively, uh, ostensibly succeeded. And I'm I'm watching it, you know, 20 years ago, going, I don't I don't like this at all. Like this is this is this is uncomfortable, and it's similar to Barclay's hologram addiction, 
where where he retreats into his daydreams. Although the daydreams came at intermittent times that he couldn't control anymore. Right. But it was still he was still worshipped as a hero complex. Right. Uh, and I think the from what I'm saying, the the difference is is that I, I mean, this was like just the doctor getting lost in his fantasy world while Barkley legitimately was having some severe neuroses, neuroses, psychological issues. And for the most part, the uh, they did a decent job of trying to help him through this. Now, I will say this with Barkley, particularly some of his earlier episodes where they're some of the senior staff are acting a little bit more like high school bully kind of thing rather than digging to the problems as, as an unenlightened 20, 24th century people. Mm-hmm. Well, then, but then Jordy becomes his biggest supporter. So yes. it's, it's almost like a, a it's talking a, with, with Picard. Right. And, you know, Riker also kind of was Riker and Worf were not fans of Barkley. Either. <laughs> no, but, but I'll say this, that they, they demonstrated that Barkley got a chance to grow, which is a good thing because you get to see somebody who has a different, who is very different from the stand. I mean, he doesn't look like one of these, you know, Starfleet demagogues that you see all the time, no. which was kind of a, a good thing to see. But, you know, Reg himself was a fairly confident individual when it came to the science, the math, the stuff. He was no, he was no dummy. But his self-confidence was terrible. He was nervous all the time. I mean, and you see, and now we're going to start getting into, um, you know, how Star Trek deals with people, you know, with like neurodivergent and disabilities and stuff like Tilly and whatnot. So we'll just try to go back to some of the comedy things. I think they did a little better with the comedy or with the fantasy parts in in. Uh, Barkley's first episode because it showed to be part of his neurosis and it talks about an actual and his insecurities. Yeah. Right. And they it becomes addiction, an addiction and insecurity. So, so for them, and while there is some absurdity to it, they give you depth to it. This kind of sounds like the doctor. There was a humanist depth to it. Absolutely. You're right. The, Completely. It was kind of like this almost seems like a, a real dude fantasy. Um, in the doctor episode, like some writer was like, was, ah, you know what? I want to see all the, I want to put myself into the position where I have all the hot women on Voyager hitting on me. And I, you know, it's, it's just, there's, it seems it's creepy. It's, it was creepy. There was no indication that the doctor ever fell in love with anyone up to that point. Anyway, um, there's actually a scene of him drawing seven naked a la the Titanic that's seen in the Titanic. Well, and, I guess we know where that came from because I'm sure that was a later Voyager episode too. Wasn't it was. It was uh-huh. 99. They even oh, they even so they after. even paid homage to it with uh, Janeway looking at the the painting, going or the drawing, going. Well, he did. He uh, the the hands are quite exquisite. <laughs> like, okay, this is it. it so. So we're seeing something that's supposed to be funny. They have to go in to save his algorithm by projecting his daydreams into the holodeck, and, and which is a violation of him, of him as well. You know, right? 
and the whole reason why like the Barkley thing, right, where you walk into some dude's fantasy. Right. Uh, at least you could try to lock the holodeck. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the problem is the holodecks have a problem of locking them on themselves. Right. Right. Yeah. So uh, anyway, and <laughs> they've they've tried to do other comedies. I didn't watch this one because I refused to. Bride of Chaotica on Voyager. Are you, are you yeah, familiar? When they were going back to like the serials of the 30s through the 50s. Yes. Like the old sci-fi ones. I've seen clips of it. I Call me a Philistine, but I'm not interested. I heard like, some of these Captain Proton ones were kind of popular, which is why they went back to them a couple of times. Ugh. I, no. And it was supposed to be campy, and I didn't... There's no. There's not supposed to be camp in Star Trek. Like, it's campy enough on its own. It is, and that's what you're battling. I, that's the thing. I just so I, honestly, I felt like you know, and and we got to bring up the voyage home, Star Trek Four. Well, okay, that is also possibly the funniest of all the Star Trek movies. Really is. I'd Although say Star probably Trek... the funniest of all Star Trek events. Yes. Uh, I will say this, as far as the movies go, Star Trek 09 was pretty funny, too. They had a lot of pretty good scenes in there. There was some decent humor in that one. Um, yes. And actually, the in Darkness movies, had some funny moments, too. Well, they also had some cringe moments in that one. <laughs> um, oh, boy. I would say, as a whole, it was the, the one that humor hit the best was in... Um, Star Trek 09. But you're right. Voyage Home to me has always been the most amusing of the Star Trek films because and it was really it was really lighthearted in general. It was lighthearted I mean, and it was situational, right? Fish out it was of the water characters Star Trek always yes. tends to do well. Yes, and that is where Star Trek succeeds. It's not when the characters are acting bumbly or, or you know, uh, uh, perfect uh, case in point. That's Star Trek short trek with um, H. John Benjamin. That was uh, terrible. Yeah, where where he has that back and forth with that commanding officer, who's like she was a he, terrible leader. Terrible leader, shutting him down, not recognizing that he actually could provide a service here, but also recognizing he has some mental issues too. And right, and rather than get involved by having some sort of mental or like a mental health care, it is the 23rd century. It was terrible. Pike she, was good to get rid of her him. off the enterprise. Well, yes, and of course, at the very end, when he dies, and yes, was it his fault? Yes, and what, what's the final thing? He's an idiot, he's an idiot. <sighs> that's not Look. funny, Star Trek. That's not what that's not and, what and makes was, your situation funny. No, and it was very it it suffered from some of the I think ham fisted social projection that Discovery had in its earlier seasons. Oh well yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes. You have H. John Benjamin, who does a great job of playing arrogant buffoonish people you know mm -hmm. archer and bob belcher are, are right up there at the top 
Okay. Well, uh, hold I on. Laugh, Bob Belcher's an everyman. Bob Belcher's an everyman. He's not arrogant. He's not a buffoon. He's just an everyman he's dealing little, he's with. a little buffoonish at times with, because with he's a cartoon some, dad. Yes, but he's actually one of the better dads. He's not Homer Simpson. He's not Peter Griffin. I get it. But, he's not, you know. He's not Steve Smith. He's, he's, he's Stan. Steve is the son. Stan Smith. Yeah, played, Steve. Yeah. Played by Gordon from the Orville. Boom. Yeah. Seth MacFarlane come around. The Orville does humor pretty well. And we'll have to get Good. into that. Good situational before. humor. Yes. But, of course, Seth MacFarlane's primarily been known for comedy. Okay. Right. Primarily. So that's his wheelhouse. But he's also a huge sci-fi nerd. We know he's a Star Wars nerd because he did all the Star Wars episodes, right? And, of course, we knew he was a huge Star Trek nerd because he would have Star Trek actors showing up all the time. <laughs> Patrick Stewart was one of his consistent collaborators, particularly on American Dad. He was a, he was a recurring character. You oh, know? Yeah. And the character yeah. looked exactly like Patrick Stewart. So, I mean... <laughs> You you they know had the entire, these, they had the entire TNG cast on a on a cutaway. They had the Family entire guy. <laughs> TNG cast as a B plot to an episode where Stewie meets them at a and they drive him nuts. <laughs> and of course, what does he do? He kills Denise Crosby right at the beginning. Oh God. <laughs> so I freely admit that I, I I lost steam on things like Family Guy and South Park <laughs> because of some of their really heavy-handed shock value. It got a little much for me, but <laughs> the sci-fi comedy done right, you'll get the Voyage Home was great. You know, the crew comes back from resurrecting Spock on Genesis Planet, <laughs> destroying the Enterprise, stealing and destroying the Enterprise, and now they're about to be arrested by Starfleet. The whale probe comes in and starts disabling everything and, and you know, sucking up the water from Earth, trying to find out what's going on. And Earth is about to be destroyed. And in their little Klingon hunk of shit, uh, Bird of Prey, crew of the Enterprise, uh, back time. Yeah, which they named the Bounty. I think it's apt. Mm -hmm. um, and then they go back in time. This is such an 80s movie, though. Because they're going back to save the whales. Because the whales mm -hmm. are going to save the future. And don't get me wrong. You know, when I was a kid, I my first love was dinosaurs. Then it was whales. Then it was military stuff going forward. But I liked, I had a big phase that I was really into whales. And it's a great movie. And, of course, it's a real 80s conservation movie. Mm -hmm. Right? And, of course, Leonard Nimoy straight up says that's why he was making the movie. You know? Yeah. You got to shoehorn well, in a little social consciousness there. Save the whales because be they can save the future, right? To be fair, there were a lot of whales that were on the brink of extinction at that point. Right, because a lot. I mean, so many of them, particularly humpbacks, have rebounded. A lot of them haven't. Oh, like blue the right whales. whales. Blue whales, too. Although blue whales' numbers are better than they were in the 80s. Um some of these whales reproduce faster, so and now now we're getting into like Shark Week and Whale Week and all this other <laughs> stuff, which of course I'd be happy to talk about. But computer. So it was the suit computer. But now they're the, yes. using the mouse, sir. And he's ah, talking to the mouse. Hello, computer. <laughs> a keyboard. It's a keyboard. He's on an old apple that we used to have in our classrooms, right? Oh my god, yeah. Like an apple two or something. And, and he, he provides the molecular 
Yeah. The molecular uh, the structure for transparent aluminum, which now exists. Right. So. And, <laughs> and Sulu's flying a helicopter and can't figure out the windshield wipers. Yeah. And <laughs> get captured by the U.S. Navy trying to steal... Um, Oh, when they're talking looking for the, the nuclear vessels, right? Because that's exactly what you want: is a Russian guy walking around San Francisco in the mid '80s asking about where the U.S. Navy is. Yeah, still in the middle of the Cold War, bro. Should have sent somebody else. Yeah. Oh my God. You've See, and that was all. That was all perfectly well done, and I, I wanted to focus on the older Star Treks to point that out. Because that was essentially like the same cast going mm-hmm. through a transition, doing something very different. And then it was like, you know, the TNG, DS9, Voyager, Enterprise, all those writers and stuff all overlapped at some point or another. You know, and they did some good, decent ones. And then it kind of fell off of the Voyager and I kind of stayed off with Enterprise. I didn't find much of Enterprise very funny. Flox was funny. Flox was amusing. He was. Uh, he wasn't laugh out loud funny, but he was amusing. Yeah. And he was actually one of the more Not more annoying. fleshed out characters too on Enterprise. Right. Um, he wasn't Elix. <laughs> no, Elix could have some funny spots, but for the most part. I don't think he served the point. And of course he was designed to, you know, they're like, well, let's make him look kind of like a meerkat and a little bit like a, like a warthog, you know, cause now we're playing on the lion King thing. And mm-hmm. Voyager really seemed to hammer home some of trying to influence the um, pop culture things in the nineties. Next gen didn't <laughs> really play that game much. Deep space no. nine didn't give a shit. No. And enterprise. Were, yeah. Trying, and enterprise was trying to like, you could tell they were trying to get back to the roots. The first two seasons were very episodic, you know, mm-hmm. and the concept was there. You know, they they did suffer from some weaker. I think they had some weaker script writing, particularly in the first two seasons. The 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 last two, the writing was really well done. Now the third season was generally pretty dark. Season four was kind of a return to a little bit of. There was some more optimism. And it was a bit of a mix of seasons one and two with the episodic piece, but three and four. But they were, you know, they were building. All right. Now, everybody, you know, in the area kind of knows the humans are are here and they can kind of do a little more now. Right. And now you're seeing them touch base with a lot of familiar races and you're right. starting to tie them. It's it's. They're prepping for the formation of the Federation, right? They're prepping the Romulans. It's like the big bad, the upcoming war. But they got some decent humor with some of those episodes. A little. They did a little. Um, but, you know, when it comes to sci-fi, you're right. I think Next Gen had some decently amusing episodes. Fistful of Datas was hilarious, you know. <laughs> Because Worf is just, he's out of. <laughs> he's out of his element. <laughs> he's out of his element all the time. And, you know, he just doesn't get it or doesn't want to get it. And then when Data starts stepping, and then you get Brent Spiner hamming it up for half the episode. And it's great. And, of course, they end with the cheesy flying off into the sunset of the Enterprise. So that's funny. 
you get some pretty good Ferengi episodes that went well. I'll say this, the what was it, Profit and Lace? Was that the one where Quark gets the sex change? That one fell flat. I, I'm, oh, I my God. I, I forgot all about that, that was, one. That was bad. That was oh, not. Oh, God. Funny. Looking back on it, it's very cringe. I know that the that uh, that 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 does not that no, does not I, age well in this day and age. Well, when you look at other episodes that were supposed to be kind of funny from Next Gen, like Up the Long Ladder, the mm-hmm. the B plot with the Space Irish, and they're kind of <laughs> buffoonish, or at least the men are buffoonish and drunks, and the women are all stereotypical feisty Irish women, and it's Nags just. And- Oh yeah, then and then and I, I laugh for the absurdity of it when I do watch it because occasionally I do I will watch it and I'm like this is a this is ridiculous I can't believe mm-hmm. this made it to air. Not oh, as, yeah. not nearly as bad as some of the the worst of Trek. One of the things I'll say is I don't think the latter Star Trek two series the the two most recent live action series have really kind of skewed a lot of humor. You know, there's they not try. a ton. They do, they but try. it's not really good. Come on, and people, it's the power of math. Or, uh, or I like science. Like, Tig Nataro as uh, Jet Reno, who is a comedian, they give her just enough screen time that she burns Stamets, and it's always funny. I have I'll found her, that. I have found her to be funny. Now, that's her job. She is a comedian. I have found right. her comedy to be funny as well. So, I do not find it to be appropriate for a Starfleet officer. I don't mind it a little bit because Stamets can get so wrapped around the axle. It's kind of nice to watch somebody get his goat a little. And yes, <laughs> as they get later into season three, their interactions are a little bit more. And somebody shows up from the Federation the future federation walks in and they're like kind of sniping at each other a little bit and Tilly's running around being her and um uh Adira's doing her thing and she's like how do you guys operate and they all look at her it's like yeah it works for us you know and yeah. i get that i've i've worked in units where it you walk in and you there's an organized chaos to it but it they figured out how it works so I found that to be kind of funny. They, uh, um, Stardust City Rag on Picard was supposed to be, I guess, kind of funny. Picard trying to do this horrible French accent. <sighs> uh, it fell flat for me. Was I mean, it even French? I mean... <laughs> well, Jean-Luc Picard is the most British Frenchman in the universe, right? <laughs> But before yeah. we before we dive, we we would be remiss to mention that some other sci-fi has done comedy well, and I'm not talking about pure sci-fi comedies like Rick and Morty or even Lower Decks, which we have already discussed. The Orville, I think, does a pretty good job of balancing its humor and its sci-fi. Obviously, it's written by Seth MacFarlane, starring Seth MacFarlane, and most of the actors in there have significant comedic experience to a degree but the writing's generally decent and they're able to they'll have some ham-fisted moments you'll see some of seth mcfarland's occasion it's not as 
heavy liberal leaning at times is like Family Guy and some of these other shows can get. But I think it's funny. There is a lot of snark that comes with it. They screw with each other a lot. And if it was an actual Star Trek show, maybe it would wear thin on me, but it's not. It's its own thing. And I actually think it's done a bit better of a job of holding up some of the ideals of the original Star Trek shows that I grew oh, up no watching that some no newer stuff. Um, yeah, they weren't they don't hesitate to go dark. But look at how many Star Trek cast members have showed up. Yes. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you have Robert Picardo has been on. Um, uh, Robert Picardo uh, and the guy who played Flox yeah, were in the same yeah. episode together John against Billings, each other. Yes, which was not really funny. It was actually pretty rough, but it, it was, was a scary good. episode. It, yeah, there was a lot of uh, tension with that, and that was a good one. You have uh, Penny Johnson, Gerald, who, you know, Cassidy Yates, she's the she's ship's regular, doctor. She's the medical officer. Yep. Um, Tim Russ has appeared. Uh, I mean, there, a lot of others, and I'm definitely sure I'm going to blank oh. on some, but a lot of others have showed up here and there. Patrick Stewart would have already been on if they weren't doing the Picard series. Right. I think he had mentioned that he finds I think he said he likes it. Um, uh, what? Uh, because, uh, Patrick the Stewart Orville. likes the, the Orville? Oh, yeah, he would. I, I, Did you ever see Blunt? I thought I saw a couple episodes of Blunt. It was pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> Blunt talk or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. I mean, he interviews himself I, entirely and he doesn't remember it. <laughs> oh, I, at the very first episode when he's arrested and he decides he's going to grill himself. It was, yes. He's like, no, you're too pushing me too hard. It was hilarious. I am the greatest. What what better interviewer than to grill myself to grill me than myself? <laughs> it was so good. It really was. I, I the man well, that wasn't was sci-fi. That was... Had a lot of untapped comedic talent, but you yes. got to see that on on Enterprise and the next gen, particularly later in the years where the crew was comfortable, and you heard about all the back backstage chaos where they would fuck around and. Have fun with each other. Well, it, I mean, uh, not really uh, chaos, but love. Right, but yeah. Right. So, yeah. but you could see camaraderie. They had some, most episodes usually had a couple of well written, quickly, small, humorous roles. But when you look at other major sci fi franchises, you know, there's always some comic relief in Star Wars. Obviously, the droids have typically been pretty star, you know. Comic relief, C-3PO, the whiny guy, R2-D2's, uh. <laughs> and whatever, uh, you know, probably probably swears like a sailor. Um, I never wanted to, I never wanted to see C-3PO dismantled more than during Attack of the Clones. Oh well, my God. Basically dismantled. <laughs> yeah, but I wanted to see more because that was, that was grating. Well, oh they do it sometimes with him. and But, you know, I mean, of course, in Jar Jar was supposed to be funny and he really wasn't. Nope. Um, Han Solo really is one of the funnier guys. I mean, yeah, we're good. Yeah, everything's fine down here. And of how course, are you? <laughs> the the, probably that the was part improvised. that made me laugh the hardest. That was good. 
it was good. But when he says, when Finn's like, well, we'll use the Force, he's like, that's not how the Force works. No. For a man who didn't believe in the Force forever. And he's like, <laughs> and he gets so Harrison Ford angry right there. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. great. And then, of course, he looks at Chewie's like, oh, Chewie's going in the background. He's like, oh, you're cold? You yeah. with the fur coat on? <laughs> or like when he gets Chewie's blaster or his bowcaster and he... Yep. Last he's like, he's basically I like, like I gotta, I gotta get me one of these kind of things. Yeah, yeah. No, he, I mean, and he's always trying to talk his way out of something too with his smartassy remarks. Star no, Wars, man. it's humor, okay. Clone Wars was actually pretty amusing, even when it was dark, because I think yes. they had better writing. Um, well, they had an opportunity to 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 flesh it out more. Who is not the. It, Obi-Wan Kenobi in Clone Wars was a downright hilarious troll. I would agree with that. He <laughs> From was, what I've seen, he, yes. Without even mentioning the fight on Mustafar, he burned so many people. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. <laughs> without even mentioning the fight on Mustafar. That's <laughs> sick, man. That's sick. That was a sick bird. <laughs> I know, I know, we're supposed to be wrapping up, but I gotta say, we we touched base <laughs> mostly on Star Trek because it was easy to pull. But I think Babylon Five did humor very well. Michael Garibaldi and Londo Malari were very funny characters. Yes. Uh, even when Londo was in his darkest periods, I mean, just him yelling at Vera. You know, yeah. and and Jakar at their best, even when they were enemies, but they were sniping at each other. They were, oh, they were so funny. There uh, was a neat respect, uh, it was a roasting, really. Really, yeah. Uh, even yeah. when they hated each other, they were still really funny when they were friends later on. But the the wit that they were able to go back with, the writing with that was pretty good. Yeah. Sheridan was a bit of a smartass. Ivanova was a troll too. Garibaldi was just, you know, he was like your resident wise ass who they usually had to tell to knock it off. But, Mm -hmm. you know, the main, the main characters were, had developed senses of humor and were a little quippy sometimes, you know, a couple of them were pretty quippy. And of course the aliens though, I think aside from Garibaldi was the funniest human. But Londo, Veer, and Jakar were easily the funniest of the aliens to show up there. Because <laughs> there was always, Veer always was into something that would get, you know, he'd be exasperated about something or bumble something. And Londo was always yelling and berating somebody in some ridiculous way. It was, it amused me to no end. I, I, there were some really good <laughs> out loud stuff with them. You know, when you talk about it, Battlestar was not a particularly funny show. It was good, but no, and their quippiest people weren't that funny. No, per se. there was no. I mean, there was some. Like, oh, that's a sick burn, but it wasn't more like where you're like laughing your ass off. No, kind of thing. there was not. There was not that situational comedy aspect, which is fine. It wasn't meant to be. Right, and, 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 and you know. right, Stargate quipped pretty well. I rewatched the movie last week, and that was that was a good movie. Yeah, um, yeah. But you're right. The TV show for the first, I don't know, four or five episodes that I got a chance to watch, 
at well the ones after particularly after the first episode which could be pretty dark at times um the quips got a little better uh yeah. you know timing was oh, a little better and atlantis they they do even better with that well i'm sure because you've established continuity you've established yep. character traits and personalities and what oh, the universe great. is like that's great star trek when it was at its most hopeful was could be very funny too because kirk was always willing to quirk an eye and and poke a little fun at somebody bones with whatever he was come jim damn it jim i'm whatever (laughs) half the time would get a laugh you know or him and spock going back and forth were usually pretty funny just like a doctor not a bricklayer With the what was the out of your uh, demon in the dark? Oh yeah, that, <laughs> that, that was. And of course, you had uh, Quark and Odo, which were great. You know, I, Commander, I will go ahead and I'll investigate the Klingons, the Romulans. You know, these people here in Quark. Do you think Quark's involved? I always investigate Quark. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes, <laughs> that that was very good relationship because it was definitely a love-hate relationship particularly later in the series as it got on where you know odo never wanted to admit that he kind of liked quark but you kind of you got the point mm-hmm. out you got the feeling after a while he's like i kind of like having him around there's some predictability yeah. i know what quark does it's like the devil you know he did quark and he yeah gets, <laughs> and the, the, the happiest odo seems to be outside of when he and kira were full in their relationship was when he would frustrate quark yep so yeah. i mean you, you, humor <laughs> in sci-fi can be done well when it's not a comedy right the orville right. i guess you call that a bit of a dramedy like a sci-fi because flat out you know it's gonna they're gonna put jokes in it i mean norm mcdonald yeah. was a walking blob it was close it was to a being a satire it was close to being a satire of star trek it was. And then they and after the pilot, after the pilot, they pulled back. They it pulled back on that satire. A bit of a satire. But they do lean heavily into their message, into the sci-fi. So mm-hmm. it, I, I think it really has struck a decent balance. Yes. Okay. I Between agree. being an hour-long sci-fi show that is also has some very good scripted comedy in it. Okay. Because that being said, it'll be out on Hulu in March. Which I look forward to. Uh, we're considering adding another streaming service. <laughs> which one it's going to be, but we'll see. Um, see, We'll see how the finances work with my new job. <laughs> so we're looking, but you're right. You know, sci-fi done well is its own reward, but... You know, I enjoy the wise guy character, particularly when it's part of a personality, but that's not the only thing that they have in that, you know, right. the character for more than that. A guy who can be a wise guy, like a Garibaldi, but is also a very capable individual, knows when to be serious. Adds a humanity to it. Right. Han Solo is another good example. He's a smart ass, particularly older Han Solo. Right. Okay, but he was also the most real person in that trilogy. Right. Well, can't can't you just tell me that when he gives you that 
Yeah. Smirk and that 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 shrug. Uh huh. In front of that, in front of that, that, yeah. It's not going to work. Full of stormtroopers. Right. (laughs) You know, I told you it was going to work. You know, it's like yeah. (laughs) When they're out, when they're out, he's like, yeah. How how are we doing? He's like, oh, same as always. Oh, that bad, huh? I mean, (laughs) yeah. His his pessimism is is one of the things that I think makes him so funny at times. He's right. he's kind of he's a guy who maybe doesn't want to be there, but he knows in his heart of hearts he probably should be because he can yeah. do something. But I mean, he he is a truly different figure for Star Wars. You know, at, at least in the original trilogy, there was no grand destiny for him. There was no family relation. No, he was he just was an screwed. everyman getting caught up in the middle of everything. Yeah, but he and got he had a fast with... ship, right? And a sweet sidekick. <laughs> yeah, you heard it from me, ladies and gentlemen, folks, everybody out there. Chewbacca is still, in, in my opinion, one of the most underutilized great characters in all of sci-fi. I don't think anyone's going to be able to refute that. And and if you do want to refute me, you have to do it speaking in Wookiee. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> now we've jumped the shark. All right. I think that's a good place to wrap it up. <laughs> I think it is. Sorry, folks. I know we were talking about sci-fi and comedy and really leaned heavily into the brick. But we tried to remind everybody about some of the other great sci-fi that did comedy well. That was not Trek. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't Trek. In small doses, I think yes. some of these franchises did humor well. Yes. Well, I mean, some franchises were more geared to it than others, and then others that weren't dipped their toes into it, and some were better at it than others. Right. And of course... So much better. <laughs> while I love Lower Decks, the funniest sci-fi show ever for me is, of course... Oh, ah, uh, uh, Futurama. Uh, uh, and I am. <laughs> okay, well, that's the ultimate ending. So... Huh? Oh, my. <laughs> well, until next time, folks. Until then, you guys keep dreaming. We're going to keep working so long, everyone. <laughs> and we'll see you on the high ground. Oh, my, yes. Those Sci-Fi Guys is an independent broadcast by Alpha Site Productions, produced by DT Cavman and P.S. McKay. Music courtesy of Kevin Cloud at Incompetech.com. For more information on upcoming episodes, follow P.S. McKay on Twitter at P.S. McKay, or go to thosescifiguys.com for past episode information.